Retro Rebel Gamecast, episode 33, is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash toddcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics for you, the listeners. Retro Rebel is released every week, most every week, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com, iTunes, or Stitcher, or wherever you download. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel host, Amanda. I'm here, as always. <laughs> I'm here, as always. Yes, from the other side of the pond. Well, exactly. yeah, so it has been theoretically about a week. What have you been up to? I mean, you know, the huge, uh, well, <laughs> interesting story. So I think where we left like off, those. I was still trying to complete Watch Dogs, the original. Yes, yes we did. Um, because I had Watch Dogs 2 in, and I was excited to see what they had done different. Um... I think you will find that Watch Dogs 2 has been returned and I made it past the second mission <laughs> before I realized they actually made it worse, in my opinion. Everything that I liked about the game before was gone and everything I hated was now, like, mandatory. So, so there's that. Like what, what, was it that, what is it that you liked and hated? Because I have heard the opposite and I haven't played, so I can't speak on it, but... So they they sort of dumbed it down quite a bit. And what I liked about the original one was that you could do the whole mission from stealth if you were patient. So you could get into the cameras and you could wait for guards to be on their rotation and walk past an explodable and you could kill them. And then you could cluster and wait for a cluster of them to come to a specific area and then you could use an explodable and you could kill them. So essentially you could do most missions without ever having to actually do anything like in real life. You could do it all via like a hacker would. Yeah, exactly. This iteration of the game, Watch Dogs 2, I felt like that wasn't really possible. Uh, It was hard to even get a bead on the cameras. And when you did, they weren't as like intuitively linked together. So you really couldn't chain as quickly as I found that you could before. Um, the explodables didn't really seem to be in kind of the walk paths of most of the enemies. So it was pretty much, you were going to shoot at least 50% of the time, which for me defeated the point. I don't know if they wanted you to just, I don't know, like do distractions all the time, but I liked to completely clear the field, you know, and I like to do that without having to shoot anyone. Um, also you're a much younger kid. You're like a teenager, uh, with his weird snotty teenage friends in their weird club frat house situation. The interface for hacking was no longer an ambient interface. It was actually a visual overlay that caused the Batman problem from Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. So if you wanted to take advantage of all the, you know, hacking and everything like that, you pretty much needed to have that on a good portion of the time. And I hate that sort of thing. Right. You know, so that the, would have been an automatic they had it before. X for you. Yeah. So, so pretty much uh, I made it past the, the introduction mission and then the second mission where it, essentially all they do is tell you to go get side missions and then realize the whole game was going to be about essentially me doing side missions to increase my reputation enough that I got enough processing power to like go to the next round. So essentially trying to build up like a ghost network of computers Uh. so you could, you know, advance the stage two, which is fine. But what I liked about the first one is that you didn't have to do any of the side missions if you didn't want to. And they were real shit. 
and they did not really get any better in the second one. Like if you like driving challenges and, you know, heists and whatever, that's fine. That's on you. But I want like a bit more story and it felt very side missiony. So I just, I literally, I didn't play it beyond that point. Once they showed me the overlay and I realized I was going to spend a lot of time in that. Um, and they changed the controls. So everything, you know, you could access every possible function that an interactable could do from the D pad menu, I think. And it just made it a whole lot harder to control. Like I kind of liked how the other one, had a good idea of what you wanted to do and when you wanted to do it based on where everything else was. Like it, it was less spatially aware. There was like a little bit too much options this yeah. time. And yet the interface did not feel as quick or fluid to me as the other one did. Now maybe that's because I played them right back to back and most people don't. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they're hoping you forgot, but I honestly found the chaining to be incredibly fluid. I could jump around an entire map pretty quickly taking out a guard here or there or whatever and and you know eliminate you know 80 to 100 percent of all of the guards in an area without having to fire a single shot that was more fun than what i was presented with in watchdogs too i i don't know if anybody else has another opinion but that's I'm how super, i went back in the post yeah i'm super serial surprised on that um but i haven't played watchdogs too i played watchdogs one and had my own personal issues with it being wonky and, and just not engaging, but I'm, I'm, I hate that, that you didn't get the, uh, the experience that you thought that you might with the second version or second iteration. Yeah. You know what? From the cover, it looks like it's going to be somebody about our age, but it's not, it's like an 18 year old kid. You know what I mean? Nice. Like, which, which is fine, and I can appreciate that when I'm, like, prepared for it. But it just seemed like the stakes were not as high. I just don't know why the they don't cater thing. to our demographic. What is it about gaming companies I mean, and catering to <laughs> Generation people X? People who actually have money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. I know. What? What? I just, yeah, I don't get it. So, anyway, uh, what what'd you do then? Well, uh, I tried to get you to, to download Oxenfree. Did you get a chance to do that? Uh, I did not. I looked at it and I said, nope, this is definitely a Stacy game. Cheers. It probably is. And you, it's definitely a story driven game. Um, and it's, it's been out for over a year now. And so last year, I think it was up for a lot of the game of the year awards and I found it to be, uh, I'm super, when it comes to like horror games or like suspense games or things like that, I'm not, I'm not your Huckleberry on those things. Okay, it's definitely not my genre. Um, but uh, And I found out really quickly that this was going to be a game that had a, some of those elements, but because it's so 2D, cartoony, platformy, e, other E's, that I felt like, okay, I can handle horror in this respect. However, one of the things they do very well is the fact that they have great voice actors. Uh, they have a lot of voiceover actors who are veterans in the game that have been involved in a number of other... Uh, high-profile titles, and so I believe Telltale Games as well, and which is known for its voiceover. And so the the voice delivery of all of the lines has been very well. One of the coolest parts of the interaction between the characters... Well, I'll get to that in a second. The premise of the game, basically, is you have these three characters that are uh, headed over on a boat to go to this island to do what kids do in high school... And, you know, spend spend the night on the beach. I guess if you have a beach and you can do that. I did not. So this is not an experience I could really relate to. However, they go there for a bonfire. They're going <laughs> to bond or whatever and drink beer. And um, you play as the character Alex, who is a who had lost her brother uh, recently to a drowning accident. Uh, you find that out early in the story it, with the dialogue choices that you're given. But... When your brother dies, uh, your parents get a divorce because it's just really hard because he was kind of the golden child. And so they get divorced. Father remarries, and he remarries a woman who has a son that is about the same age as your brother. And so your stepbrother is on the boat with you with his other friend, Wren. And so Alex, Jonas, and Wren on the boat headed to the island. You meet up with... It's One uh, Direction. 
I yeah, mean, exactly. Uh, you meet up, so you play a female lead character, and she's and she's really it's she's a very relatable character. I mean, there's a lot of things about the game and the characters that are relatable. They feel very fleshed out. Uh, by the end of the game, you really know the character of each one of them and how they would kind of act. Uh, and so I felt like they did, they did a good job of explaining the characters. Um, <clears throat> but uh, when you get to the island, you meet a girl named Clarissa. Clarissa was your brother's girlfriend uh, before he died. And so she kind of resents you. She's she's kind of a bitch the whole time that you talk to her on the beach. Uh, every interaction with her is really snotty and catty. And so... Um, and you... and. In the beginning of the game, you don't really understand why she's being this way to you. Uh, anyway, you go from there. Uh, the Ren, who is kind of the ringleader of all this, who's tried to organize everybody to get to the to the beach and to this island, is your host. He's telling you a little bit about the history. Uh, you're learning that the whole the whole island isn't really inhabited by anybody anymore. And so, as you're walking along, he's giving expositionary dialogue. And he says that there's this cave that you can go into and you have this radio because your cell phones don't work there. So you have this radio and the radio you can turn into certain stations and you and it's like you pick up broadcasts from either paranormal or from space. or You don't really know, but you know you're picking up broadcasts. Right. Uh, and so you go into this cave and there are these three stacks of rocks. And you tune it into a particular station on these three stacks of rocks, and what it does is it it causes a rift in time space, and you let out or you conjure up what you you think is maybe either a spirit or you you contact something from a different dimension. As you do. As you do, you know, on these trips with you know as a teenager, um, in on the beach, and so. From this point forward, you continue to uh, have your party with your friends or whatever. and uh, But one of you seems to become possessed by whatever this spirit is. And they start talking to you. Uh, and and, uh, it, and none of it seems to make sense. But basic, basically, they talk you into playing this game with them. Otherwise, the people in your party are going to be possessed and killed. Uh and, and are you going to play this game? I mean, probably not. It's definitely a you game. It is. I, I, I'd agree with that. Although I do think that you might, it might be worth your time because it's not a really long game. But I mean, I believe we'll, get, I believe we'll get to time investment later in our, yes, yes, in our <laughs> scheduled topic. So, with that being said, maybe I'll go ahead and spoil it then. Um, the. The game, the game has multiple endings, and without spoiling anything, the game has multiple endings. And as you go through, you have a number of dialogue choices that can take the game in different directions. Uh, there are a couple pivotal moments that, if you make a, a certain choice, it will change the direction of the game, uh, where you know either certain people will get together, certain people will will never be friends. Uh, you may actually get to the point like I did when I finished the game. And this is what gave me, like at the end it gave me goosebumps. Because you go through the whole game and you, spoiler alert for anybody listening to a game that's over a year old. Well, I, I don't want to spoil it. I don't really want to spoil it. It's really, it's really worth your time. At the end of the game, something happens if you get almost all of the endings. <laughs> all but like one of the endings. Something happens, and it gave me goosebumps, and I was like, wow, okay, this is, uh, this was not what I expected, um, and it has a lot of replay value, I'll just say that. And at the end of this, if, if you still decide that you don't, you're not sure you want to play, I may spoil the rest of it, so I'll let you know. Okay. Because so, <laughs> right. I, cause I am enough. terrible with secrets, and I so want to spoil it, so... <laughs> So anyway, I've been playing that, and I also finished Pyre, and Pyre is definitely going to be one of the Game of the Year candidates for me. I really, really enjoyed it. It is, again, one of my games, not really a you game, I bet. I mean, um, what, a walking simulator rocket soccer situation? Yeah, no, it's a long way. It's a little, it's, that, that's not necessarily, 
<laughs> a fair assessment, but it's not completely inaccurate. It sounded fair to me. It's not fair. It's, it's not a. It's not inaccurate either. Um, because <laughs> some of the other descriptions I've heard is uh, are worse. Like, it's a combination of Oregon Trail and, uh, you know, some other games. And and uh, you know, Oregon Trail is not necessarily fair either. The only comparison is that you're in a wagon for a lot of the game. Um, but the wagon is in purgatory and the purpose of all of the characters that you kind of put together in your group is to get out of purgatory. So you are, and, and one of the things that the Commonwealth, which is not heaven, but maybe getting back to earth. One of the, one of the goals that the Commonwealth put forth was to eliminate literacy. So you, your character is the only character at the, at this point in, in downside, which is purgatory. You're the only character in Downside that can read. So you are... <laughs> I can't read! <laughs> well, they make it seem as if reading is like you're a reader like a psychic. Which is, is more than just being able to read the book because you also conduct the rites. And the rites are the, you know, the Rocket League soccer thing that you were talking about. So, uh, you, so you have both uh both elements and and the and i'm telling you that it is it is a sports or a a, a com- competition like no other game i've really played and i was it's i can't it's difficult to describe when you've got three characters on either side each with their own skills so that sounds a little bit like football or soccer american football or international football either one uh it's it's a little bit like that uh, in that you can carry the the star and dunk it in somebody's fire. No euphemisms there. Um, I mean, <laughs> you're making it too easy. I know it. I said <laughs> that one was on a T. Uh, but but no, the but the thing is, is that things change based on how how those those games are going. Sometimes uh, the team you're playing will create some sort of disadvantage. There are statistics that you can affect in between each one of the matches, uh, and then. They but can do you have... imagine the like the like pre-game like pep talk from the coach? They're like, "All right, guys, this is what I'm gonna need you to do. I'm gonna need you to run on field. You're gonna need to dunk it in their fire. That's I'm right. just gonna need you to dunk it." <laughs> yeah, and when you dunk it in their fire, you're also gonna disappear for a while. Don't worry about it because you're only banished, and you will be back. Yeah. But There's you also have to American completely. Gods. You're gonna be fine. Right. You definitely have to completely <laughs> engulf yourself in that flame. But yeah. That's it. yeah. Don't you worry, can, it's not a hot flame. It's like not. It yeah. It's the other kind of flame that you've never yeah. seen before. Yeah. Totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> so yeah, I I, tell, I can see that, and and I definitely see that explaining it is a hard sell. I I actually bought it and played it on the recommendation of somebody I respected in the industry that is it it was literally word of mouth was the only thing i watched a little bit of a trailer and it and the game made no sense to me i was like i don't even know what this game's about i still don't know but i liked the music um and that is one thing that i will say is the music is some of the best music in a game in a while for me where the music stands out because sometimes the music is just aesthetically pleasing or or at least uh just from listening it, it can improve your experience. It doesn't really affect how the game looks, but it does. It does add an element to it. But when it actually stands out so much that you recognize it, and like I sat and just listened to the music, that's different. You know, that's where the music actually has transcended. I guess just the gameplay, and it's 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 not distracting. Like Halo. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, when you hear Halo music or. I'd say Mass Effect to I'd much lesser. I'd fall asleep lesser. to Halo music. Yeah, you could, and you could to uh, Mass Effect Thank as you. well. It's it's not mm-hmm. as iconic, I think, as Halo. I think it's more electronic. Um, yeah, but, but I uh, still like. I can hear it in my mind if I think about it. Yeah. Like all the do 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 do. You do yeah. a good Halo. I mean, yeah. no, I was talking about the Mass Effect, like when you're oh, in yeah, the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, loading up the star map, I can, like, I mean, I can't sing it because it's all electronic, but, you know, I can hear it, like, when I think about scanning planets. It's because that's pretty much all I did. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I agree, I agree. I actually have a Pandora station that's dedicated to it, so, um, 
to video game music in general. I know that's as lame as it may sound. It's really good for background music when you're working. No, um, I think the lamest part is that you said Pandora. No one uses <laughs> Pandora anymore. Well, I can't find a similar station on Spotify or any other service, so. <laughs> I also haven't looked at really hard or asked anyone, but don't let that stop yeah. me from making another choice. So, <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, Pyre was really good, even though it's definitely a, a type of game that's probably not for everybody. Oxen Free being similar, but the ending really got me. It's definitely no Bioshock Infinite ending, but the ending... The ending just shows you that there is a little bit of replay value there uh, for that game. And at the end, when I can't stand it anymore, I'm going to ruin the rest of it. So just stay tuned for that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, that brings us to our first topic here, which I'd like to talk about some news, uh, some things that are going around uh, or going on right now in the gaming uh, industry genre. Uh -huh. Uh, I don't know why, what see, you're. Why do you on. have to say gaming? The only thing anyone cares about over here right now is that Uber's been kicked out of London, and we're That's all like, it. "How are we going to get places?" I know it. I know it. Uber got kicked out. Yeah, they had their license refused, so now they have to go into appeals, and basically, they only can operate while it's under appeal. So pretty much from the end of the month till per perpetuity. They could cease trading at any moment. Essentially, once they file their appeal, the second that decision comes back, if it's not favorable, that's it. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I had yeah. seen some of the protests, I think, in Spain, um, where the taxi drivers have done all they can to, to really prevent Uber from uh, yeah. getting a foothold. Well, there. our taxi drivers have a monopoly, so yeah, <laughs> they won. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I don't think that's good for business, but I also don't, I don't know enough about the politics there to figure it out. I know that Uber's kind of popular in my town here. It's popular enough that you can get it. Um, it's so popular that there are 40,000 Uber drivers and 3.5 million accounts. Wow. Like, and like, it's all, so anyway, that's why when you tell me these news stories about the gaming industry, I have not like, been paying attention. I don't attention. care. <laughs> because right now, I need to know how I'm going to get around town for a fiver. That's what I'm saying. Help me oh, out. Oh, howdy, neighbor. Oh, thank you. For those that can't watch at home, Amanda's oh, being hey. delivered I a fruit basket. Thanks, neighbor. From her neighbor, maybe. I don't know. I'm assuming because I can't see her on camera. Okay. Oh, one second, guys. Uh, my neighbor made apple juice, is it? Oh, I wasn't far off. Oh, hey -oh. That's really lovely. Cloudy apple, is it? That's so nice. I'm sure Frank's going to love it. Yeah, yeah, the little ones. It's so nice. You know what? I like it less sugar. It's really lovely. Yeah, it's really lovely. Well, I'll make sure everybody gets some. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> will do, will do. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just going to put this in the fridge real quick. Uh, homemade apple wine. Oh, nice. So... From our lovely Jamaican neighbors. Jamaican neighbors? Mm-hmm. Are they bad boy yardies? I mean, yeah, a little bit. Are they really? <laughs> yeah, we live in a rough area. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was just my best snatch reference, and I knew that Yardies were actual uh, supposed to be Jamaican gangsters. So. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Cool. Well, there, there, there we go. Well, there we go. Have to. Uh, so I'm gonna have to do some cutting in this episode. <laughs> there you go, Daniel. You know. <laughs> so. <laughs> so uh, three, two, one. And we're back with uh, the news that you are so interested in, uh, with Uber being removed from the UK. Uh, I can't imagine any of this falling on your radar. But uh, is there anything that you have heard of before I go into some of the things, the highlights I wanted to talk to? I mean, are you even interested nope. in playing Destiny Two? I, I am. I am interested. Okay. I I I've seen it in the periphery, but I have not gotten it or looked into it or anything like Are that. Are you worried at all about being left behind by the community? Um, well, the last time I played Destiny, I started out and everyone was already like 240 light or something. Right. And I was already behind, you know what I mean? So, no, not super. There's always going to be somebody that's just starting out. So, you can kind of be buddies with them or you can roll a new character with a friend of yours and roll up together yeah but okay so not too worried about it really i'm definitely not like uh destiny 2 is my primary game sort of player i don't play it like an mmo i play it like every other game that i play where i go through i'll get to maximum light and then i'm gonna return it so (laughs) fair enough yeah um why? What's the controversy? No, there's well, there's the controversy that uh, that Jim Sterling and a few others have on the shades, and the idea that in the loot boxes that you can get, where the idea is that any of the loot you get from them is random, um, and the shades that you get, which you can use to color your armor, and you know, more or less, it's like your transmogrified transmogrified version of armor from World of Warcraft, where you can make it look a particular way. Um, Anytime you use those shades, in the previous iteration, Destiny 1, they were reusable. But now they're consumable. So once you use it, it's gone. You can buy boxes, but you aren't guaranteed what you're going to get. And so you can't actually buy all of the different colors and whatever. So basically people are upset because... You can pay real money for things that are that are consumable that in the previous iteration were reusable. And you can't even buy the actual ones that you want necessarily. It's random how they're released. So Well, I can see how people would be upset about that. I mean, I remember like you know, getting the boxes and getting the colors or whatever. And eventually once I found a color that I could tolerate, I just pretty much gave up like yeah. caring about them because you would get so many weird color combos. I think I ended up with like a sandy colored yellow and like a pale sky blue. And that's what I, you know, did my whole armor in. And that's that because yeah. you get so many weird colors and like rare colors and legendary colors or whatever. And I mean, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> it is in the grand scheme of things, it is this, it's a small thing, but I think it's the principle that a lot of people are upset about, and that yeah. you can't. But it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a consumable because it, is it does it consume upon dying a single piece of armor? Because then, how long is it going to take you to just get matching in that color? You know what and I mean? Yes, it is. I mean, you can only use it on one piece of armor, not like your whole yeah. armor set. It's like one piece. So no, that's that's horrible. Yeah. So of and course, so, I would be upset. Yeah, and you there can't there even are... match. Yeah, exactly. You can't match. And what kind of what kind of way is that to go into battle? So, um, yeah, I, I I definitely see the the uh, controversy there, and but it's not stopping people from playing. Obviously, uh, the point being made is they should know better than to make some of these things for real money to go backwards. When you do so many other things right, and then go backwards on one thing, it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense, and, and I don't understand the the reasoning behind it. I'm sure there was a reason, something that they rationalized, not for me to answer, but that definitely was in the news yeah. recently. Uh, yeah, well, if, it, if it's single use, then you should definitely be able to buy the color that you want with real money. The fact that you can just buy loot packs still is so stupid. 
exactly. Yeah, and and Blizzard, who I am definitely a fanboy of and support, is guilty of this as as well with their Overwatch loot boxes, uh, which generally <laughs> are garbage. You know, whatever you get in it, I I could care less what I get out of those things. Um, but I think you can also buy those for real money. Uh, so, you know, for whatever that's yeah, worth. Yeah, you can. They're kind of in the same boat with this, so. Well, there is a game that, I don't know if this is going to fall on your radar, but it's one that I recently saw a review for, and if I had the time, <laughs> which we talk about later, uh, would be on my radar. Uh, as well, well, it is on my radar, I just don't know that I'll be able to, to play it and finish it. And it's a game called Divinity Original Sin 2. Have you heard anything about it? It's a PC-only game. So that... You mime well, letting you know I cannot hear you. <laughs> Sorry, I like thought I unmuted, but then what I actually did was mute. Anyway, I have played Divinity Original Sin 1 on the console. Yeah. Uh, and I... I I wouldn't say that I didn't like it. That's not accurate. But it's it's so extra. You know, like every tedious RPG trope that they could yeah. possibly throw in, they have done. And I know some people think that it makes it like kind of like a get good situation, like this is a real RPG adjusting every single like stat or whatever. That's a real RPG. But actually that's when RPGs were a bit shite, you know, like I feel yeah. like we've got better and it's been more about the story and less about controlling every weird wonky aspect of it, you know? Yeah. This like, is not a really spreadsheet care? game. So what's that? Yeah. So I, I mean, I can't imagine people actually deep down want to be doing that. It's just like the principle that because they can, it's somehow yeah. a better form of the genre. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I've, and once again, in the periphery, seeing some of that, you know, Divinity is a real RPG sort of thing. But, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's I don't think it's that fun to do those sorts of things. I'll give you an example, right? Right. It's one of the ones where when you encounter a specific type of um, environmental thing, like say there's like gas in a room, yeah, you have to go and find a firebomb in order to clear the gas so you can uh, move forward. You know, like, it's yeah. that sort of tedious bullshit. It isn't fun. And me and Frank were trying to play it together because Divinity Original Sin is two-player on the Xbox. Yeah. Um, this one and, is as well, yeah. Yeah. And when one of you is not as skilled, it just becomes a hurry-up-and-wait exercise where, like, you <laughs> kind of know where you need to go and what you need to get to. And meanwhile, the other person's like smashing every single crate and, you know, or running off or, you know what I'm saying? It's like the it's worst kind of escort mission. Exactly. So I would say that it, the genre, in my opinion, and the reason why we didn't play it beyond a single session was that it was too complicated. It's got a very high barrier of entry, so it's not fun to play co-op with somebody who isn't super good at those sort of games. And it's just, like, a bit extra. Imagine, like, after 20 or 30 hours of playing this and you're still finding firebombs to clear gas. Like, is this a joke? You know? Yeah. It's not fun. It can't be fun. Like, I refuse <laughs> to believe that's fun. Well, and, and that's that's interesting, because I, I, I like having that other opinion, because the opinion of the individual who was reviewing this version of it Obviously, um, well, obviously from listening to it, they liked it very much. Uh, they were comparing it to some sort of mixture of Baldur's Gate and The Witcher 3 in terms of some of the side quests and the richness of the side quests and how even the side quests have a lot of a lot of depth and uh, impact on the story. So, uh, you know, yeah. it, it made it worthwhile to go do those. And uh, so it, it, it appealed to me. It appealed to me because you had so many characters to choose from. But like you said, I feel like I would almost buy that game and then find out that it's so involved that I that I can't. I actually I just can't get involved into it. Like there's too much to do. And with 15 or 16 or 10 or 12, it doesn't matter, playable characters, um, 
you know, and, and that it was one of the things that I kind of ran into with Pyre. I realized that there were many ways that the story could go. Um, and the yeah. way that it ended going with me, because I had so many, I think you have eight or nine characters in your party and you can affect the future of, you know, six of them at least. And, and it can be any six that you choose and the way, whatever you do, uh, depending on which ones you choose, it's going to affect the ending of the game. And I don't know how it's going to, but I don't have time to go back and do this again, you know? So, um, uh, and I appreciated it, and the ending I got, I was fine with, and and uh, I kind of liked the fact that I was able to check off that box and get an ending that I, um, you know, that I felt I earned yeah. and was earned. So, um, but no, I play I play every game like this is I want to get the ending that I would choose because chances are I'm not going to do another do over. Like, right. I just don't really have time, you know. Yeah. Even if I would like to, generally don't, you know, have time to do it, and. Yeah, I don't I feel like people who have lots of time to invest would probably enjoy it, but it just has too many of the elements that are massive time sinks or just really pedantic that I don't uh, even you would not enjoy. You know, like yeah. it's even just, me. Well, you know, I feel like sometimes you are a lot less critical of games than I am. Like you, you are, did like you, that. you liked Batman and I instantly hated it when they screened you know the view you know what i mean because oh yeah 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 and and it, and i so. think that that's justified you know i totally see that and and you you didn't get me to hate batman but you definitely got me to look at it from a through a different lens so i appreciate that i needed i needed to be to take my rose colored glasses off my batman colored <laughs> glasses off take my vr headset look, off i'd probably put it on something to have a look at in a year's time when you played everything else and it's like 15 quid in the bargain bin, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure it's worth it, but then you won't feel bad if you don't play the whole thing. If you pay right. 60 quid and you get to one gas filled room, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, maybe, maybe they fixed it and maybe that's not in there, but in my opinion, they generally, if that's the way the game is built, they generally don't get rid of yeah. those sort of things. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. And there's some other news here, but I feel like we've covered what uh, the listeners might be interested in. I do want to mention there is some Switch news that I know that I wanted to get to just for you, um, but we 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 need to move on. Um, Doom is coming to the Switch, and uh, <laughs> uh, and there's some VR news, and nobody cares. So yeah, no one cares. And no one cares. So that topic is brought to you by our sponsor, Audible.com. Reading is fun. LeVar Burton taught us that with Reading Rainbow, and it's even better when you get someone to read the book to you. Why don't you enrich your life and check out Audible's trial service by heading to audibletrial.com slash podcast and receive a free audiobook and 30-day trial and check out their service. Amanda, what is our suggestion this week? Today, our suggestion is a collab between George R. R. Martin and Gardner Dezoy, and it is called Dangerous Women, and it is a collection of 21 different stories about, you know, dangerous women by a bunch of different writers, um, and it was kind of collated and, and um, collabed by George and this Gardner person. Um, and basically, it's all different kinds of fiction, like space women, um, private investigators, femme fatales, queens. Um, so it's kind of like quick bite-sized stories. And it is 32 hours and 45 minutes, which means that each story is like an hour and a half. Um, and you can get it for free with your trial. Awesome. Well, yeah, that sounds good. Sounds like something I'd probably be interested in reading as well. Uh, you can head over to audibletrial.com slash Toddcast to get that free title today, or you can choose from over 180,000 other titles. Support us by heading to audibletrial.com slash Toddcast and get your free 30-day trial started today. Topic number two, and uh, the main reason for for our meeting today, is uh, aging, aging and gaming. And this is a topic that I've thought a lot about, and I've read a number of articles over the last 10 years or so. Uh, some on were written on the Escapist actually, which I I don't even know if it's a website anymore. I know Yahtzee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know Yahtzee still does the uh, 
the zero punctuation. So I watched that. Love it. No, yeah, love love zero punctuation. Always have bought all of his books as well. Um, but you know, it, it's as I have gotten older, I've realized that there there are certain games that I've either aged out of or that have passed me in terms of what I uh, not just my interests and my ability to invest time in those. So. Just starting with you, what do you think are some of the factors that contribute to how game experiences change with aging? I mean, just starting with you, blah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah. so I made a little list. Yeah. So I would I would say the first thing is, is that as you get older, you've got less time to invest, so you get more choosy, you know, if... You know, 15 years ago, when I put in Watch Dogs 2 and it wasn't what I wanted, I still would have played through it because I had sat down and started it and I didn't have anything else to play. But now that I'm getting older, I've got other things I could be occupying my my time with. So if it's not, you know, 95% of the way there, I'm just not going to invest any time in it. Um, So I think it makes you... Uh, a little bit more prescriptive about the type of experiences that you want. Um, and right. also you start to drift away from completionists. You start to drift away from, you know, repetition based achievements and things like that. Um, well, at least I find that I do. Um, I still tend to go for as close to completionists as possible on like my favorite titles. So you know, your Mass Effect Andromedas and whatever. But if it's like, do a hundred of this thing, I don't ever really go after those because that's not exploration. That's not new content. That's just doing the same thing, you know, a hundred times. That's not right. fun. So if I don't get that organically through the course of playing it, then generally I, I won't even bother. Um, the next thing is, I think the more experience you have with different types of games, the more quickly you can pick up different control schemes. So, you know, through all the different genres that you've played, all the different types of consoles that you've played, PC, whatever, you've experienced almost every control mechanic that you could imagine. So it's rare that you get a game where the controls are just completely opposite of what you have ever played before. You know, you, you probably could say, oh, yeah, this kind of controls like Assassin's Creed or it kind of controls like, you know, whatever. And so it makes it easier to pick up and just jump right into the game. I think you need like less tutorial, less practice. Right. No, I, I, so, I definitely agree with that. So that'd be a second one for me. Uh, and then the last thing would be is I think this is more just age in general, but you have a better understanding of teamwork and how important it is and how much it contributes to being successful. So in instances where you are in a team or in a group, you're more likely to speak up if you actually know the answer um, or push for collaboration, push for coordination because you recognize those things are important. And you have the added benefit of sounding a bit more authoritative as well. So provided you're not a complete noob, you generally can get people to listen. <laughs> yeah. So so I would say those are my top three things. So you have less time, so you don't settle for things that you don't enjoy. You know, you're more experienced with mechanics and controls. You pretty much played every sort of game mechanic and every sort <laughs> of uh, control scheme that you possibly could. So everything is a bit intuitive. And yeah. then you understand how to work well in multiplayer when you choose to play it. Yeah, I think that... I think you hit the nail on the head with with that with all of that. Uh, one in particular point where I think you, because you've played all of these genres and you kind of have some point of reference for what you've played and you can compare it to something that's current, then you can you can make better educated choices on what you want to spend your time doing. Um, you know, if this is a similar type gameplay, uh, or if somebody can relate it to another game that I've played. And it's a type of gameplay that I'm interested in, then then it will make me more likely to want to try it. I think one thing that I'm I have recently, uh, hopefully, broken myself of is I have a loyalty to I have a loyalty issue. 
uh, to a fault, where I will, I will actually purchase games with the, you know, with the golden intention of trying to play them and and uh, finish them. Uh, let's say Skyrim was probably the first one I did this with, where I bought it because I enjoyed the world. Uh, that I was looking forward to to kind of getting back into that world and playing, but I knew, if I was being completely honest with myself, that I was at a point in my life where I could not invest 50 hours in a game, much less 60, 70, 80 hours in a game. Um, especially, not, not nothing sequential enough where you can make any kind of headway in a game like that. You can't play 15 minutes or 20 minutes of Skyrim. You won't even get anywhere. You can't get any. Yeah, I mean, you can't get to the next village, and if you do, and then you take four or five days off, you forget why you're there, and and that has over time. That's been one of the things that has happened. You know, when you get a family, when you get, um, if you don't work in the game industry, if you have a family and you don't work in the game industry, you're going to have a hard time playing. You know, if you work in the game industry, I could see you being able to actually play some of these games because it's your job. If it's not your job to do that, then I think you're going to have a hard time kind of plugging that stuff in there, uh, especially if you don't, if your kids or your family aren't involved in it as well. And so I think with aging, uh, one of the one of the big changes I see with many of my friends as we've grown older is they've either aged out completely, where they just do not have time to play, uh, because maybe they didn't stay connected enough to find other games that maybe they could. Uh, that they did have time for, uh, or it's evolved. And like with me and the, the friends that I still have my age that, that continue to play, we, we've kind of gotten smarter about what we choose. And we realize that we kind of have a sweet spot. I heard, I heard on, uh, the kind of funny game cast the other day, somebody mentioned like, there's a sweet spot for gaming for people about our age. And, and it was, he wasn't speaking about us, or me in particular, he, but he was talking about himself and people about his age uh, in the in the industry, and that's about eight six to eight hours for a game experience. And six to eight hours is, and I would say maybe eight to ten would be pushing it for me. Uh, Pyre was about fourteen hours, uh, thirteen hours maybe, and thirteen hours was pushing it uh, for me to be able to get to the end, finish it in some sort of cohesive sense where I had played enough sequential sessions that the game seemed to be you know a continuous story instead of it being a bunch of chopped up oh what did what what did i do last time oh yeah and then come back and try to remember all the story and it have some kind of impact i think it's why it's what killed gears of war for me and gears of war is not an exceptionally long game problem with gears of war because i played it in chunks uh, yeah you play it in chunks and then you lose the gravity of what's going on and uh, so it, it doesn't have the same impact and yeah. and that's and that's I think it's not that I don't want to play those games or that I don't enjoy those games. It's that I know and I have to make a calculated decision to pick and choose games that I feel like I can enjoy in a in a period of time that that doesn't doesn't negatively impact the effect that game is supposed or meant to have, you know. So I think that's one of the major. That's probably the biggest impact or effect of of aging and gaming to me, is is breaking myself of wanting to pick. Like I want to pick up Horizon, and I just don't think I have the time to finish it. Uh, I know it's a really good game. I know it's got a good story. Uh, I know that you can't play it because you don't have a PlayStation, but yep. <laughs> but it is a game that would be on my radar to play, and I just feel like I'm going to have to pass on it uh you know and choose other games that i feel are more uh, in my wheelhouse in terms of time or in my wheelhouse in terms of investment in the story that it's like if it's if it's something that's really involved uh, but uh, so with that being said do you feel like there is i obviously there's a correlation with gaming and age and how it changes over time but do you think that it is that it is absolutely a factor? Like just because you've gotten older, that means that you can't play certain games. Um. Well, I don't. I don't think you can not play, you know, a game just because you got older. But I think that as you get older, you have a lot more options. You have a lot more money and a lot less time. And so, 
you know, there's a whole world out there. You could take your family on holiday. You could go out to dinner. You could do loads of things with the few hours you have between getting home from work and going to sleep. And so you have to weigh up the value of anything that you do in that time. And the last thing you'd want to do is spend 60 quid, plug in a game, play it for two hours and feel like that was pointless. You know, right. you didn't enjoy it or whatever. Um, I, I would say that are you looking at watchdogs long... too? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was just one of the, you know what? Actually, I made the right decision for myself because I didn't let it carry on further. I played it for, I think, 45 minutes and right. I said, right, that's done. No, it's not for me. Um, I did the same thing with another game called Technomancer. It was just like sometimes I'll put a game in and I've just seen nothing redeemable about the experience and it's just not worth the time. So, um, I, I don't think that a game's length or anything like that necessarily precludes it from playing when you're older because I will sit down to this day and play Mass Effect or, um, any Bioware game really uh, at all. Uh, any Bethesda game, I'll play them and, and anything by CD Projekt Red, I'll play them to absolute completion. Pretty much all the side quests done. Everything but the do <laughs> X 50 times. You know, yeah. I'll do them all. I'll put 300 hours in. I don't care. But I'm also cognizant that I break up my experience into memorable chunks. Right. So I'll, you know, I will start off this session, do two or three side quests, and then do one advancement of the main story. So it's the most recent, like, thing that I remember when I boot it back up. It's usually, you know, you've just unlocked this, you've just done that, and I can check the log or whatever and, and kind of stay in the story. But, I mean, to this day, my recollection of 90% of any game is only the beginning and the end. Right. So, yeah, yeah. you know, the bits in the middle, I don't super remember. And I think that's because of having to chunk it up. But I do have a sense of, I think, loyalty to franchises. Yeah. But I think much like you, I'm afraid to go into a new franchise that requires that like level of commitment. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it isn't that it's necessarily age that makes you want shorter games. It's just that if you're going to go long haul, it needs to be something that's like a fairly safe bet. Right. Right. No, I'd agree. Um, Cause I, I, you went pretty long haul on final fantasy. For sure. In I all did. Fairness. And that was hard. It was really difficult to do. And I missed a lot of stuff in that game. There were a lot of things that I didn't end up doing uh, because I was trying to get through the story. And I think that there were people that got through the story in less than 30 hours, um, easily with, you know, under 30 hours. So I think 24, 25, 21 hours finished the game. And I think that that was closer to where I was in the game. Uh, I think, in fact, the only reason that my time, gameplay time was padded was because there were many times that it was like, Dad, I need you to come do something. And I'd pause the game, but the clock's still running on the game. So 30 minutes might pass and the game's running and I have to go do something and then I came back, you know, so. Um, so anyway, uh, that was, that was kind of, yeah, that, so that explains that to a certain extent for me. Um, I, that pushed the envelope, though. That was one of the games that kind of, I think, really helped me realize where my threshold is. Like, I can, I can play games like this. Um, I'm going to have to figure out a better strategy, but if it's any more involved than this, that particular Final Fantasy didn't have an overly involved story. Uh, it wasn't that complicated, and I, you can tell that there was a lot of stuff that was cut out of it just because of how long it was in production. Um, so it was pretty simple. I mean, I can't think of a simpler Final Fantasy game, to be completely honest, uh, than that one in terms of premise. Um it still was enjoyable though, but I, yeah, you're right. You're you're absolutely right, uh, and uh, it's it's affected my my choice of playing games. It's but I agree with you also that I don't think age by itself inherently cuts you out of gaming. I think that you I will continue to play games from publishers and and uh, from 
you know that from companies that I not only respect but have a bit of loyalty because it's earned because they have produced games that I have thoroughly enjoyed on every level. And uh, you know, although I still haven't finished or forgiven um, Bioware for this last Mass Effect, uh, I have not completed it yet. I am getting. I mean, closer. you are not even close. No, where I are will, you? Now? I'm, I'm I'm still on the first planet, but I'm almost I done mean, with the first you planet. Have not gotten, oh my god! I told you to knock it off with that first planet bullshit. You got to do that at all of them. Well, the problem is, is that um, when you're in that stupid six wheeled vehicle, uh, that it's not always completely evident where you're supposed to be driving to get to the next point, and so. Oh my lord. Well, when you're having to play it in chunks, use your map. I don't want to spend. 30- use your map. Well, your map does isn't topographical. It doesn't tell you exactly where the hills are and where it's the mountains sort are. Sort of topographical. You can sort, sort of, of figure out. Sort of. It should have a path. I mean, this should be dumbed down for people who have aged out of gaming. Wow. Okay. Don't include me in that bracket. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. It's just like I said, the trial and error portion of gaming that you typically need in games like that or other games. Um, is that's also one of the things that that kind of goes to the wayside. I kind of need a more clear path because I don't have time to figure this shit out. Tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that age inherently age it, it takes you out of gaming. I think you could, there aren't a whole lot of genres that you couldn't play if you had the time. I think it has it comes down to what your interests are, uh, your experience in gaming, and how that's affected what you choose to play. Uh, but other than that, you know, I mean, I, it was one of the things that I kind of saw when I was playing World of, World of Warcraft is when I first got into it, and I guess it was Wrath of the Lich King, so it was about 2009, we were in a guild, and our guild leader uh, was a man that was in his early 50s, uh, and he had played EverQuest, he had played a number of other games, so he was like in his late 30s, I guess, or maybe um, early 40s when EverQuest came out. Probably played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I remember him talking about that. Really nice guy, great guild leader, and uh, but he was obviously significantly older than the majority of the people in our guild. And um, you know, I asked him. I was like, "How did you get into Warcraft?" And he said, "Well, I had played the game, the RTS or whatever, and I realized that our path to this game was almost identical. You know, it had nothing to do with our age. It had to do with the fact of what our interests were, and that." Uh, both of us were interested in the World of Warcraft real-time strategy, uh, and that kind of was a gateway to this. And he had played other MMOs, and I had not, but, you know, nonetheless, we still had a love for uh, the Warcraft world. And so that brought us both to the same the same game. So I didn't see any difference, major difference, with age and how that affected. I think it comes down to the other factors in your life. And, uh mm. So I was going to say he, he probably is single, though, because to be a guild leader, that's true. a significant time investment. Like, true. you know, you're if you've yeah. got kids or a partner or whatever, you probably don't have time to be a good guild leader, like to be as present and on as consistently as people expect you to. So I imagine he might have been single. I think he was. And he ended up having to uh, we our guild broke up after he had some health issues. Um, oh, bless. Yeah, and so we really kind of lost touch with him. Um, but he's a really nice guy. And uh, and but you're but you're but you're right. Uh, it, it, when you have these other responsibilities, it's going to affect you. But age is probably down the line in terms of like factors. It's uh, that prevent you from being able to play certain games. It's other factors that are involved. I think that really, you know, maybe negatively impact your ability or your your ability to invest time in games. Oh, 100%. My husband thinks it's nerdy as fuck. <laughs> so, if I'm playing games for more than four hours, he's like, really? Couldn't yeah. find anything better to do? Really? <laughs> you know? So, get a bit of aggro. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spouse Meanwhile, aggro. he has played Civilization Revolution since 2010. So, he cannot same talk. same game, right? Yes. Yeah, one yeah. game. For, like, however long it's been out. Nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah, and that could be argued to be the most nerdy genre of all of games. 
I think it is, but yeah. you know, yeah. I've, there's I've no played, telling. Sim City, I've played, and so and I, I think I played one of the Civilizations in the early 2000s, um, which are they are fun and kind of addictive. It's a lot like Sims. How addictive that you can get. Oh, I'm just gonna play a couple. He more plays it yeah. online, like competitively. Yeah. <laughs> ha ha. So, well, good. Well, that brings us to our final topic, which is our featured favorite, which we do every week, where we discuss one of our favorite games of all time. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is a great game, uh, in your opinion, because we don't care. It's one of our favorite games. So this week, Amanda, what is your featured favorite? For retro re- retro webble. I mean the young kids aren't gonna get that. Today. Yes. I mean there are definitely no young people who listen to this because they are not getting half of these references. Well they won't get these references and they're probably not gonna tune uh. in for aging and gaming either, so that's okay. <laughs> Um, so my featured favorite today is an oldie buddy goodie. It is Borderlands, the original. Um, I distinctly remember when this game came out, it looked and felt and sounded different from just about anything that came out before it. So it was very rock and roll. It was super grunge. It had harsh lines. It was cartoon. Like, you know, it was it was kind of But it was brutal, you know? Yeah, it was really graphic. They had a great loot box system. It was moddable. It was hackable. It was online. It was a shooter. You know? Yeah. It had vehicles and everything. It was really cool. Um, and the the damage uh, meter is what particularly I enjoyed a lot about it is like when you have the damage um, show damage on it just looks like like you're splashing them with like and there's like splashes coming off of the enemies of like all these like numbers you know of all the damage you're doing I just remember it being like a super visceral experience hands down one of the best intro title sequences ever. The Cage the Elephant song, wicked, like, totally wicked. It definitely set the scene. You felt like a badass, like, from day one. And I think it had enough variety in the characters that you could choose that when you played with other people, like, everybody was playing someone they could relate to, you know? So there there was a bit of variation. Um, And I felt like it was the perfect length as well. So I think me and Frank beat it in, like, two days. So, you know, maybe played five or six hours each day. It wasn't, like, super long. We didn't do, like, loads of side quests, though, I will say. But, you know, we went through the main story, like, pretty quick. And I remember it being just a general, like, good time. Um, kind of right. like a, a, a raucous sort of FPS party. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for that reason, and, and also because it was the first introduction is the reason why I'm putting number one on the list. All the other ones are great. They're all fine. They're lovely. But the very first one, I think showed us something truly different. And then they've just built on it from there, which is fine. But number one was definitely groundbreaking. So it goes on the list. Oh, that's a, that's a very good choice. And uh, the cage elephant song brought me into it. I didn't get to play it as much as i wanted to but i played it with some friends uh when i would go over to their house and it was fun that's a that's a good game i wish i'd gotten into it more but i totally respect it for me uh and this i can't believe i haven't listed one of these yet in this series um but i'm going to put final fantasy 3 in the in the united states is going to be my first final fantasy entrance it will not be the last um, <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy 3 I think came out when I was a junior in high school it was like 1995 I think uh, junior or senior in high school I know forever you're showing your age mate I know I know I threw that out there but it, I, but again I think it also sh- puts it in for the record for I was me. definitely not a junior in high school <laughs> in 95 I know I know <laughs> well for me um, I I uh, it was something that I I didn't know that it, that was going to continue to be something that I was interested in or that I really enjoyed. The very first iteration of Final Fantasy on the NES got me into role-playing games. Uh, it, had, it was kind of light on story. 
light on direction, uh, but I really liked the turn-based combat and and the direction that your characters could go. It was a it was a good entry point for me at the time because there wasn't much that was better. I played Dragon Warrior as well, and I liked that, and so it was similar gameplay. But Final Fantasy three hooked me from the beginning in the story. There was so much involved in in uh, the different characters and how each one of them had their own kind of side story and quests and and uh, that they were all fleshed out and seemed to be like real characters. And uh, so it was something that you didn't... You did get in the in Final Fantasy 2, which I think is Final Fantasy 4 in Japan. I don't know. In the United States, we're going to go with the United States uh, Roman numerals. And it's Final Fantasy 2 for this particular one. And Final Fantasy 2 kind of started this with these characters having a backstory and being able to get a lot more information about them than where you actually cared about them. Final Fantasy 3 took it a step further and was probably the first game I played that was 40, 50, 60 hours long, uh, where there was just so much to do and such a long story uh, that it, it didn't feel like it was that long because I did really enjoy what I was doing. I loved being in that world, and I loved the idea, because this being the third version, that every time you got a Final Fantasy game, there were certain elements that were going to be similar, like you were going to have chocobos, and you're going to have moogles, and you're going to have, you know, red mages and white mages. And I mean, mages. you just said a bunch of words that I'm like, meh. I know. What that <laughs> well, that's good. That's why we have a, a good dynamic, because there are things that I'm really interested in that you're not, and there are things that you're really interested in that I'm not. And, no, you know, I tried and, to play one before. I you, told you this. Yeah. 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 I, Final Fantasy seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll tell you what happened. I like ran out into a field, and I was like, "I'm going out here to explore or whatever." And this giant bird thing beat me till I was dead. And he did it every time I tried to run out of the like what I assume is probably the starting area. And then I gave up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I, I I don't blame you, but I this was probably one of the most critically acclaimed versions of the game, and and the one that you you chose in particular has one of the most convoluted of the stories as well. Um, it is one that's revered by some fans just because of the whole Ares Aerith character that dies. Um, spoiler alert for a game that's twenty years old. I mean, um, is that a joke? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it is a bad one, but a joke nonetheless. Just no spoilers for The Last of Us. One of these days, I am gonna play it. So okay, don't I will spoil not spoil it. I've avoided that. spoilers for like six years already. So yes, I will not. I will not spoil it. It is great, uh, and I'm not gonna spoil Oxenfree either. Um, I, I just figure I, I want. I want to. You can you spoil it shot. next episode. I will. Yeah. I'm gonna spoil it next episode after I give you okay. one more shot to. To play it. Fine. It's only a few hours long. So, Well, that wraps up this episode of the Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this week's episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. Any questions or comments, feel free to email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. Please head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download and rate us, because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.